all manual therapy has transient effects. And the only way to get permanent effects is with the home exercise program. And that's what it's all about, is educating the patient and empowering them. Welcome once again to PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast. This is episode 60, officially the start of season 6, the sixth batch of guests. I can't thank you enough for all your continued support for the podcast. So in this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Erson Religioso III regarding his own eclectic approach to manual therapy. Dr. E has developed his own line of seminars and courses taught to clinicians live and online under the umbrella of the eclectic approach and his focus on modern manual therapy. He also has a cash-based practice in Buffalo, New York, Edge Rehab and Sports Science, where he specializes in TMDs, headaches, spinal care, runners, gymnasts, and chronic pain. His focus is seeing the patient as little as possible and and empowering them with education, self-assessment, and treatment strategies, which he emphasized in our conversation. So, we talked about his stand on anti-manual therapy sentiments and the right time and place for manual therapy. He also shared how he started modern manual therapy, the eclectic approach, how he gets his patients better and faster, and why all patients can benefit from manual therapy, not just ortho or musculoskeletal patients. Lastly, he described how he got that entrepreneurial spirit and mindset. This episode sure is packed with nuggets of wisdom. So, let's take a listen. All right, so you're back to another episode of PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast, your weekly serving of insights, information, and inspiration from the experience and expertise of Filipino physical therapists. I am Johan De La Paz, your host. Let's go on with the show. So uh, today's episode, we are going to zoom in to manual therapy, uh, modern manual therapy to be exact, founded by Dr. Erson Religioso III. Uh, Dr. E is a fellowship-trained cash-based PT practice owner, an entrepreneur, a blogger, and sought-after lecturer in the topic of modern manual therapy. He graduated from Uville College. Did I say it correctly, Uville? You did, no. yeah. <laughs> and uh, a dual bachelor and master of science degrees in physical therapy. His inclination to orthopedic and manual therapy led him to his doctor of uh, physical therapy degree, uh, from the University of St. Augustine. He is a fellow in the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. He has certifications in manual therapy, mechanical diagnosis, and treatment of the spine, evaluation and treatment of oromaxillary, craniofacial, and temporomandibular pain. As an entrepreneur, he has a cash-based PT practice in Buffalo, New York, Edge uh, Rehab and Sports Science. He developed uh, manual therapy mobility and rehab products as well at uh, edge mobility system and uh, um, his uh, modern manual therapy the eclectic approach is his line of seminars for clinicians he's also into mentoring business and social media consulting blogging and podcasting so that that's I know you're very busy. Wow. Right. <laughs> so yeah. welcome to. That's all. PTMU. That's all. That's all I do. Just a small thing. Small <laughs> Just list. A small thing. Well, yeah. Welcome to PT Meal Doctor. Glad to have you here. <laughs> oh, great. I'm, I'm glad to be here. We can have some rice on teasp- on tablespoons. Uh, right. That's, right. Where's the adobo? <laughs> exactly. Right. That was yeah. my original concept before. Like we can eat while doing podcasts, but I, I, I thought. Like, oh, we- <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> My daughter, uh, my daughter started cooking with my mother uh, recently over um, FaceTime, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom taught 
my 12 year old how to make pancits and wow man she did a great job making pancits she made it, it for the whole family all eight of us oh, wow. for my other for my other daughter's birthday it was great <laughs> wow he's, she's better than me i haven't uh tried cooking a, a pancit yet <laughs> yeah yeah uh, wow. it's uh it, it's it's it she's getting better since her second time around and she did oh. great this time wow. yeah <laughs> All right. So uh, before we dive into our topic, uh, could you give us a, a little background on how you started into physical therapy? What's your uh, origin story? Sure. Well, my origin story is I, f- I fell into a vat of uh, radioactive PT <laughs> fluid and uh, I came out an amazing physical therapist. Now, um, well, my parents are MDs, and uh, they went to medical school in the Philippines, and they moved here. They did the residencies, um, uh, actually, one of them in Buffalo, New York. And um, so I also had this medical kind of, you know, background. I was never afraid of doctors as a kid. I loved going to the dentist. I couldn't understand why p- all my friends were so scared of going to the doctor, and they hated going to the dentist. And I just thought, eh, you know, I get like I get toys and treats when I go to the dentist. My dentist right. gives me toys, um, and I always thought, you know, I enjoyed helping people. And I I saw that everyone loved my parents in our small hometown of Jeanette, Pennsylvania. So that was always in the back of my mind. And uh, one of my friends was in a was a pretty bad car accident when I was in high school, and I attended her physical therapy. And I thought this was great, you know. And and it's not as long as school mm-hmm. as as medical school. So I thought, why don't I do this and see if I like it? So I, I applied to PT school. I got into Duval College in Buffalo, New York. There was a five year uh, dual BSMS program at the time. And uh, I always thought to myself, well, if I don't like this, I'll just go to med school. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I never really knew if I liked it. Um, and then I remember on the very first day, at the end of the first day of my first clinical in Chardon, Ohio, at a hospital wh- where I saw outpatient and inpatient, I called my, I remember calling my parents and I said, mom, I know this is what I want to do. I love it. And then for like the next five to seven years, even well after I graduated, my parents, every, you know, every time I called them, so when are you going to go to med school? When are you going to go to medical school? And I'm like, well, I'm already happy with what I'm doing. I don't want to go back for four more years and then X number of years for a residency. And then uh, University of St. Augustine at the time came out with a residency-based DPT program, which is before transitional. So I entered, I was one of the first uh, entrance to that in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I got my um, manual therapy certification. I became a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapist. And I earned my DPT. So finally, my parents stopped saying, when are you going to go to medical <laughs> school? Because at least at least I could be called doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of how I became a physical therapist. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's more to that story, too, about how I transitioned to modern manual therapy and everything. But mm-hmm. that's my that's my origin story. Right. <laughs> so what led, led you to to manual therapy? How did that interest start? Well, my mentor who um, mentored me in residency and fellowship 
he was one of the, he was a big manual therapist and at the time this probably sounds ridiculous now but m- many of the bachelor's programs because most of the pt bachelor's programs only had one semester of ortho mm-hmm. and it was maybe three credits and um ours had two semesters and each was five credits and one was five credits of extremities and one was five credits of spine and he's a big manual therapist and very big into the mckenzie approach also which i promote heavily and i factor that into my modern manual therapy as well so i was always interested in it and i was particularly particularly interested in spinal manipulation and one of the ideas i had was after graduating was that i would become a chiropractor so i could adjust the spine because i really liked manipulation my parents being traditional MD said, we will disown you if you become a chiropractor. And <laughs> I have nothing against chiropractors because I know uh-huh. a lot of my followers are uh, rehab-based chiropractors. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, the straight chiropractors who kind of like adjust and say you don't need vaccinations or you can adjust for asthma or adjust for fever or whatever. Those are the things that I think, you know, you should really think twice about. Mm-hmm. That's what my parents kind of associated with that. So that's when I found uh, Stanley Paris's program because he was a big manual therapist. And um, I remember one of my um, CIs said, oh, you know, you want to become a chiropractor. Well, have you ever heard of this program? And he opened up like a PT magazine to Stanley Paris's, um, you know, ad. And then I, I remember calling them and uh, enrolling, in, enrolling in their program right away. Gotcha. And that, that started your journey to manual therapy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that, um, and I took as many manual therapy courses as I could after I graduated. So I took all of Paris's courses. Mm-hmm. Then I took all of his Rockabato courses that, uh, Rockabato went to the university of St. Augustine. So I took all of theirs. Uh-huh. I took the, all of the Institute of physical art courses, all of the Mulligan courses. When David Butler came to the U S I took all of their courses. Uh-huh. Uh, I took um, more de- neurodynamics courses. Um, wow. a couple of courses. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I probably lost count, but somewhere in the first five years of my career, I probably took anywhere between like 50 and 70 manual therapy courses or mm-hmm. orthopedics courses. And and that that's how I kind of got into what I call the eclectic approach to modern right. manual therapy is right. when you take all these, when you take like McKenzie courses, you know, mm-hmm. I, I right after getting certified and uh, getting my fellowship in manual therapy, I took McKenzie courses and they're like, you know, manual therapy is garbage. No one needs manual therapy and pal- all this palpation stuff is garbage. And, and I just thought, wow, I, I've really had to go through a lot of cognitive dissonance at the time. And, mm. and you know, this isn't really what I was expecting. And and I kind of just wanted the credentials. I, I, I told my McKenzie instructor on the first day of uh, my first class, I'm not even going to use this. Uh-huh. I just want the credentials. Like how, yeah. how cocky. I was, you know, as a young clinician and not humble at all. Um, and now it's like the cornerstone of my approach because I try to use as little manual therapy as possible because essentially all manual therapy has transient effects. And the only way to get permanent effects is with the home exercise program. And that's what it's all about is educating the patient and empowering them. And manual therapy, you know, when I went for manual therapy, it was it was like what people view pain science and exercise now mm-hmm. um, is, is it's really what you should be doing. Manual therapy is really just another passive technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I was going for manual therapy, it was like, oh, ultrasound and ESIM and everything. We shouldn't be using those because they're just passive techniques. And manual therapy is a highly skilled active thing. And, and you have to take so many classes to be excellent at it. And I think that's absolutely not true. Now, anyone can get manual therapy to work, but ultimately my question is always, what are you using it for? 
you're not going to fix anything. You're not going to permanently change anything. And if you really want to make rapid changes with the patient and get them to stick, it's all about the home program. All right. well, that, that's refreshing because um, I thought, because uh, we're talking about manual, modern manual therapy, I thought that you're going to be like an advocate of oh, manual therapy is uh, the best or manual therapy is uh, highly regarded. But it's it's good. I mean, it's refreshing to hear from a manual therapist that you're you're focusing on the movement because you know there's a lot of like debate there about like people are, are not into manual therapy that it's not useful or it's not like beneficial. It's just transient, as you mentioned. But yeah. how do you how do you respond to that? In that like, what's your stand in those um, discussion? Right. Well, like I said, um, you know, there's a big there's a big anti-modality sentiment, mm-hmm. right? Rightly so, mm-hmm. because when Easton and ultrasound and everything came out in the 80s and 70s, everyone started using it, and it was just really it, it wasn't healing anyone, it wasn't mm-hmm. fixing anyone. But mm-hmm. we were kind of taught like, oh, and and manual therapists are like, well, we're hands on, we're one on one, and we're spending all this extra time with the patient, and certainly that probably develops a better therapeutic alliance. But I think mm-hmm. the whole concept of early manual therapy, at least manual therapy in the eighties and nineties, was that it's this super special thing, mm-hmm. and that it enables you to fix things that ultrasound and Eastim couldn't because they were just masking the pain. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that manual therapy is really just doing the same thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say there, there's absolutely a skill to it and an art to it that you don't get with passive agents. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much of, of feeling these minutia of passive intervertebral motion and all that garbage. Cause it really, that's just like, you almost have, if you have to believe you're feeling something, <laughs> it's probably not a good assessment, you know, but, but you can really, anyone can, that's why anyone can kind of do it because mm-hmm. If you attended like a spinal manipulation seminar, like my first spinal manipulation seminars, they were like five days long and you learn like 200 different ways to passively assess someone. And you think like, I don't even know if I'm really feeling this. And by the end, you're like, yeah, I've convinced myself I'm feeling it. I'm awesome. Um, No matter what, you're probably not doing exactly what the instructor was doing. Uh No matter how you can be the most coordinated person in the world, unless you're Taskmaster from Marvel Comics, if you know (laughs) who that is. You won't, you, you won't be doing the same exact thing by watching the instructor do it a couple of times, mm-hmm. but, you, but yet you still go back and you have amazing results. And that's just because of placebo effect. And, you know, your patients maybe know that you attended this amazing course and you're like, uh-huh. oh, I just learned all these new techniques. And they're like, right. yeah, I'll use them on me. I'm, I'll be your guinea pig. And people have positive expectations and the way you sell yourself, you, the more courses you take, you're probably a better salesman. And that's why you get these amazing results, but it's not mm-hmm. because you're, you're, you're doing anything more amazing than previously, because eventually that kind of like, fades off and then you're like well what's the next thing i need to learn i'm like i'm i I have another difficult patient i need to learn more things so yeah manual therapy now is there's this big anti-manual therapy sentiment sure it's passive it's non-specific effects um but i mean it's always been that way Mm -hmm. and the thing is when you are a like i say a, a pain science only or an exercise only therapist i just think to myself well that's great but what do you do when you see someone with like a huge lateral shift and they have neural signs um, and they have pain rating below their knee? Uh, it's not like you're going to just give them a kettlebell and and just have them, you know, do a farmer's carry and, and it, have it automatically straighten themselves out. There's a time and place for manual therapy. And again, for me, I just say that if you were exercise only therapist, like I see all these, um, you know, strength PTs and strength physios saying like they, they post all this research that exercise 
um, you know, is great for low back pain because in, in six months, um, the, they have better outcomes. And I absolutely believe that. But the thing is when someone is in acute pain and they come to you, what are you going to say? Like, Oh yeah, if you get, if I get you on this exercise program in six months, you're going to be better. Mm-hmm. That's what, what manual therapy is for is to get someone feeling immediately better mm-hmm. to kind of change that perception of threat mm-hmm. and get them moving and feeling better because essentially they're also going to be more compliant. Mm-hmm. And that's how I present manual therapy is I can, I can get people moving better and faster than an exercise only approach because mm-hmm. we can change perceptions of stretch and perceptions of threat faster with manual therapy. Mm-hmm. But ultimately my message is, yeah, if you're moving better and feeling better now, mm-hmm. you have to use these active, this active approach mm-hmm. because there's no fix to your problem. Right. You can get a two-hour massage. Like I actually always tell people in, in, in the Philippines, it's like for a two-and-a-half-hour massage, it costs like $2 or something. You know, and they don't even accept tips because like no one tips there. And uh, cheap like there. you can get this, <laughs> right. You can get this like amazing two, three hour massage. But if you get that at 8 a.m. by the end of the day, you probably don't feel as amazing as you did mm-hmm. for for the next hour or so. And and if that's like how you feel at the end of the day after a two hour massage, what is your five to 10 minutes of manual therapy really doing on someone? How can you expect it to last? Because all you because as, as quickly as you can change perception, the body also doesn't learn. It doesn't keep it unless it's reinforced. And that's the thing. You have to reinforce those effects. And that's what the home program or what I call the recovery plan is for. So that's really how I use manual therapy. I mean, I think it's a great cheat. I think it's like the best cheat code in the world, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. It's like a video game cheat code. So you, it's like you're, you're hacking uh, the body first, then you do the, the, the exercises after. Something right. Like that. I mean, <laughs> if it's all about patient compliance mm-hmm. and adherence to their program, mm-hmm. someone is going to be more adherent to their program if it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're like, hey, you know, tendinopathy research shows it's okay to exercise in the pain. Mm-hmm. But I think I think you just have to be a jerk if you have options to make people feel better mm-hmm. instead of just saying like, yeah, keep on doing those eccentric loading mm-hmm. program for your for your Achilles tendinopathy. I know it hurts, but it will get better in like three months. Uh-huh. Right. But like, why not, why not do a little bit of soft tissue work or joint mobilization? So it feels a little better. Right. And they, they can then capitalize on feeling better. If you want a patient to be compliant, mm-hmm. there are very few people who just think to themselves, especially if they have kinesiophobia and they're mm-hmm. afraid to move. There are very few people who are like, Oh yeah, yeah. I totally trust this guy. Mm-hmm. And like three months from now, it might not even change in two to three weeks, uh-huh. but three months from now it'll be fine. I mean, you have to be like an awesome salesman for mm-hmm. that. Right. Well, I guess some of the physical therapists are um, afraid that, like, if they start with um, some um, some manual techniques, they that the patient would eventually rely on that and be dependent on that and expect that every time that they come in. I think that's what they're afraid of. That they that's why they don't want to do it in the first place. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's absolutely true, but it's all in the way you sell it, right? Because mm-hmm. I just I say that it doesn't matter if I if I scrape you with a metal tool, if I put my hands on you, do some tissue work, if I mm-hmm. manipulate you, you might hear a crack. All of these things are going to make you feel better, but they're, you're, your relief's only going to last anywhere between five to 45 minutes or one to two hours, depending on whatever study you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So if you want to feel better, if you want to pay me, you know, mm-hmm. like the high rates that I charge mm-hmm. and have me work on you every day, 
Mm-hmm. Or even like every two hours, that's great. I'd be happy to take your money. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to pay me or anyone else, if you want to stop seeing your chiropractor, or if you want to stop seeing your PT two to three times a week for years, mm-hmm. you know, you want to stop seeing massage therapists. Like I tell people, massages are great, but it's not going to fix anything. Like you mm-hmm. can go for relaxation, right? right. And, and uh, you know, release your anxiety or whatever. That's great. But I mm-hmm. mean, it's not going to fix anything. Right. So if you want to keep on throwing money at mm-hmm. people, that's fine. But I mean, mm-hmm. if you really want to get better and stay better, you need an active solution. And that's one of the questions I always ask people. I always do these little, what I call Jedi mind tricks, right? To get, get people kind of thinking. Uh-huh. It's not more like you will do your home exercise program, <laughs> but it's more like a question. Uh, do you have a problem with activity? Mm-hmm. And people are like, yeah, yeah, of course I have a problem with activity. Well, then you need an active solution and things like massage and adjustment and needling and all these things, they're all temporary passive solutions mm-hmm. another, yeah. another jedi mind trick or another question i ask people is um like you or it's, it's more of a statement like you going to a pt or a chiropractor or a massage therapist and getting soft tissue work or adjustment or manipulation or needling whatever you going to that and expecting to be fixed mm-hmm. is like you going to a personal trainer and having them lift weight for weights for you and you expecting to get more fit At some point, yeah, if you want to make a change, you have to do the change. Mm -hmm. And the people who don't, people who are not compliant, like people who just say, can't you fix me? They're not Mm -hmm. my clients. Uh, I just don't see them. You Mm -hmm. know, that's the thing. I mean, and we all have like maybe families and mouths to feed and maybe Mm -hmm. ourselves to feed and support. And I get it why people would want to have non-compliant patients on their schedule, but really no one wants non-compliant patients. If a patient is not listening to you, you don't have that rapport. Mm-hmm. They're just, they, they will never do their home program. That's fine. If you're, if you're seeing them to feed you and your family, but ultimately you don't want that to be a majority of your cases. You want it to be like a small fraction right. of your cases. Cause trust me, you will be, you will feel much better going into work if you discharge those patients who, you know, you go, you go into your work and you see your schedule and you see some names on your schedule. And if you immediately see your, think to yourself, like, ah, oh. like everyone has those patients that, or individuals that they don't want to interact with. And you know mm. what? Save yourself the trouble and don't interact with them. I mean, that's one of the biggest clinical pearls that I could, I could tell you if you're uh-huh. listening to this. And I've asked other clinicians who have been, you know, out like, 15 to 22 years, like I have. And that's also, they have similar advice too. If you don't get along with the patient and, and they don't get along with you, there's mm-hmm. no reason for you to see them. I mean, and I don't even know why you're doing it. It's like being in a bad relationship, right? I mean, like, right. why are you prolonging this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had that happen to me in my practice. And I've just referred patients who weren't listening to me and not getting along with me. I referred them to my business partner, who was like the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> and I called him like the PT concierge. Like he would make people coffee. Uh, on the first wow. day, he would like hold their hand and put his arm around them as, he, <laughs> as he's going back to the evaluation room. And, uh-huh. and sometimes they didn't get along with me and they absolutely got along with him. I mean, this, just because you don't get along with them and they don't get along with you doesn't mean either of you are jerks or something. But maybe right. there's something about your presentation that they don't that doesn't click with you. And, mm-hmm. and you actually, even by referring them to a coworker, maybe you've done them a service and gotten the, gotten the better. And also then you also take that weight off your shoulder. So it's like a win-win situation. Exactly. As like patients have biases, we also have some biases. So their personality might fit in with other therapists and not ours. It's, sure. not, it's not something that it's bad, but yeah, you know, if they, it works for them, good for them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, 
after a while, um, I remember also there was um, a guy, Greg Johnson. He's one of the founders of Institute of Physical Art. And he said when he was mentoring with um, either Margaret, Maggie Knott, Margaret Reed, I think like the founders of PNF. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he was going in like the hospital rounds with her or something like that. And uh, she saw one of them had a very, very difficult patient and she didn't get him any better. She was using all these hands-on techniques and, and I think the patient might've been belligerent and they clearly they didn't um, maybe even disrespectful to her as a clinician or a doctor. Mm-hmm. And they walked out of the room and she just like composed herself and went back into the, see the next patient. He's like, how do you do that? And she said, you know, if there's one thing that I can teach you. And he said, now I'm telling you this as a class is don't take this stuff home with you. And, you know, always bring your A game to every patient. And, and they're just certain patients it, we all want to get, we all want to be liked and we all want to get along with everyone, especially Filipinos, right? Like everyone's like, likes us. Um, <laughs> yeah. But sometimes they're just people you don't get along with, or you don't hit it off with immediately. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could always try your best, but mm-hmm. sometimes your best is also, like I said, referring out or mm-hmm. even referring within it, within your clinic, not mm-hmm. even referring to a different doctor or anything. All right. So um, let's talk about your eclectic approach to manual therapy. How would you describe that approach? Sure. Well, the eclectic approach is more than just manual therapy because uh, I have the eclectic approach as a brand. Mm-hmm. So my yeah. my subset of that brand is modern manual therapy. And then I also have the modern strength training, which is the blood flow restriction training mm-hmm. and therapy. Uh, then I have modern nutritional rehab, which is a nutritional certificate program for PTs and clinicians and modern patient education, which kind of teaches you the soft skills like pain science and sleep and recovery and mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, wow. pain science and, and um, movements and recovery strategies. Um, and then we're also developing a modern post-op rehab and a modern barbell therapy. So uh, mm-hmm. all those things I have like under one huge umbrella of my online mentoring program called Modern Rehab Mastery. Mm-hmm. Currently, that's four months where you have four months with each mentor. And we have all these classes uh, online. You can take separately or you could do them online with a mentor um, one month with each mentor. And so, so, but particularly modern manual therapy, like I said, my my whole thing was to, after taking all these courses, uh, you know, after taking neurodynamics, mm-hmm. you just become like a nerve head. And you're like, I'm going to do neurodynamics on everyone. And then after taking right. spinal manipulation, like, I'm going to manipulate nice. everyone. <laughs> then after doing Institute of Physical Art, like I'm going to do soft tissue work and PNF on everyone. And, and uh-huh. it, it's hard because you think that, you know, what, what are, I've, I've called uh, in the past from one of my colleagues, Charlie Weingraff, he refers to them as commercial-based models. Commercial-based models are, it's like their way or the highway, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and if they're going to slap their certification on you, you have to do things a certain way. And that's mm-hmm. the only way you're going to get results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is everyone gets results because if, mm-hmm. if, PNF didn't get results, there wouldn't be PNF. If craniosacral therapy didn't get results, there wouldn't be craniosacral therapy. You know, I think some of these, the, the thing that all of these things have in common is they really are teaching you to be more confident in your, your handling of patients, mm-hmm. in your explanation of patients. You might be like the more courses you take, the better, like I said, you can sell things, the better you can sell things, the better therapeutic alliance you have, right? right. So I had to develop some kind of algorithm in my own head about what are the best assessments? Like what, what are the great assessments and what are the garbage assessments? You know, like I, I learned quick, pretty quickly on that the Stork or Gillette test is one of the worst tests ever, right? Like you just, you know, the marching test where you find like the PSIS and the S2 and then you have the March and mm-hmm. 
And then you think, is this like a right on right or left on left? Like it's literally the worst assessment ever in the history of the world, uh, along with like, you know, like ruse test and all these things that are just like garbage, right? All these palpation-based tests or, or symptom provocation tests, like no one wants their symptoms to be provoked. That's so I had to think like, what are good assessments? And that's mm-hmm. what led me to do more things like movement screens. Like I learned from the SFMS or mm-hmm. SF. SFMA and the FMS. I took what was great out of there, added that to my approach. I, I, I'm very big on McKenzie repeated uh, movements exams because they are symptom-based and they are also reliable. Like the least you can have in any assessment is reliability. And guess what all palpation-based exams don't have is usually any degree of reliability. And the majority of our, our exams don't have validity either. So that's why the least you could have is reliability. Mm-hmm. And and that's how I kind of developed that. And, and when I started taking more pain science approaches and learning that, you know, to empower the patient is better. And then after I, I became heavily into pain science, I circled back to McKenzie and I just thought, wow, you know, the, the simpler, the better. Mm-hmm. And um, one day, like my, my transition to fully using McKenzie-based Type treatment. I can't say that I'm officially in any way, you know, um, affiliated with McKenzie Institute because I am. I am no longer. I, I took their approach, and you know, I added short shortcuts to to my own. Um, is one day I woke up with what I thought was like a facet lock, and if my wife, who's also a PT, uh, was confident enough to do a thrust manipulation on my neck, I probably would have been fine. Mm-hmm. And if I was going to work that day, I probably would have been fine. But instead, I was actually going to a McKenzie clinical skills update course, which at, at the time was like only for certified clinicians. Like it's to just keep current on, on the latest techniques and the latest, and to also just watch. All you do is you watch two McKenzie diplomats treat patients all day, like difficult patients typically brought to them by all the local certified McKenzie practitioners. So I'm just sitting there, you know, watching them treat and treat and treat. And I just think, oh man, if only one, if only someone would just manipulate my neck and I'm like asking other PTs, hey, manipulate my neck. And they're like, no, just do repeated end range loading strategies like you're supposed to because you're McKenzie certified. So I just thought to myself like, oh man, like every time I bend to the left, it's like a nine out of 10 and resting, it's like a five out of 10. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be here for two days straight anyway. Why don't I just you know, keep on doing this. So I just kept right. on doing it. And like an hour or so later, uh, it was, it was like, instead of a nine, it was maybe like a seven. Mm-hmm. And I kept on like two hours later and it was like a three. And I'm like, Oh, I can go farther. If I add isometrics, I'll just add isometrics. And then I can, I can like a, like a hold relax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by, by lunchtime, it was maybe like a one out of 10. And by the end of the day, it was a zero. I just thought to myself, wow, you know, there is really something to this. Like I didn't mm-hmm. need to be manipulated. And mm-hmm. that's when I started showing people the high dosage of repeated end range loading, which, which again, kind of makes up the hallmark of modern manual therapy is that a high dosage or the, or the appropriate dosage of repeated end range loading is really what keeps people better. Because I don't care if you needle, if you manipulate, you do soft tissue work, uh, whatever your magical technique is that mm-hmm. em- makes someone feel immediately better. Mm-hmm. How do you make someone keep it? Because it's not like you're going to tell someone to needle themselves every two hours right. or to, to self-manipulate themselves every couple hours. I mean, I, I th- I'm great at manipulation. I can't really manipulate myself mm-hmm. that well. 
uh, it's, it's not practical also to get into these positions and, you know, do like a sideline lumbar manipulation every, every two hours to make yourself feel better. Repeated end range loading just kind of replicates that. And again, that's how I explain it to patients. It's all on the first visit. No matter what we do to open up that window of improvement, that window starts slowly closing during due to your bad habits and other things that movements and positions that kind of give you negatives or close the window faster. Mm-hmm. So if you want to keep that window open, you got to do these resets 10 times an hour and keep on pushing it open until it's open for maybe 72 hours or so, two to three days straight. And then, then your nervous system is finally convinced that it's safe. And I think you'll kind of go back to moving better and feeling better and you won't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. So you really start with that, uh, that, that talk at, at day one with your patient. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as soon as I show them the extras, you know, it, it's, it's quite a buy-in too is mm-hmm. as soon as I assess someone, I'll repeatedly end range load them. I'll try to have them do it themselves as much as possible. If I say, uh, okay, I might need to scrape here, but that, even if I scrape here or I manipulate you now, let's try this again. Okay. Now it's hundred percent pain-free. And then I immediately do a test retest. Like, Oh, can you, now can you pick up this kettlebell? Now can you swing a golf club? Now can you, you know, do a squat and they're like, Oh, well, yeah, I feel much better. How do I keep it? You keep it by doing the same thing I did. Cause if I start off with a very simple and rage loading strategy as a treatment, and if I just say you do the same thing that I just did, that's very empowering. Mm-hmm. Because the more the more ingredients you add to something, then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you appear to be a master chef to someone who can barely cook, mm-hmm. and they think they can't do it. But that's why I try to keep everything as simple as possible. But even if I start to add a little bit of spice into it, I always bring it back to the same strategy that they are going to use mm-hmm. to keep it better. Mm-hmm. All right. So you don't have to show off the first time that you don't have to give a lot of like things to your patient on the first day yeah. <laughs> just to keep them like wow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be wild. I mean, and if your goal is to see as many patients for as long as possible and make lots of money, that's great. But you can also make lots of money by getting people better faster because these people become your evangelists. Mm -hmm. Like no one was ever like, man, I went to this PT for two to three times a week for three years and I got, I got better. I mean, they might love you and those people are your evangelists, but their real evangelists are the ones you get better in two to six visits. And if I can get people better in two to six visits, anyone can. And there's nothing magical about me. Other than it's not my hands, even though I do think I have like really coordinated, amazing hands and I'm great at manipulation. I barely manipulate anyone at all. Right. Yeah. I think the, the, the power that I have is the Jedi mind tricks. It's, it's uh, I love to engage with people. I love to debate with people mm-hmm. and I love to, I love to empower people and educate them. And education is my biggest strength. If you are a great educator and you can sell the the recovery plan, mm-hmm. you will get people better faster. It doesn't matter what your treatment is, right? Because as an online mentor, people always reach out to me and you're like, hey, you know, for this Achilles tendinopathy, and I love this, this is like a real email that someone sent me once. I've done needling and acupuncture and iontophoresis and ultrasound and cupping and ISTM and soft tissue work, and they're not getting any, any better. I'm like, look, I don't care what you treated the patient. I mean, first of all, you were like beating a dead horse there, literally. Like, I would call that beating a dead horse. It's like treating a dead horse, right? What have you taught the patient? And that's always my question, right? It's not what have you, what have you done to the patient. It's what have you taught the patient? Mm-hmm. Have you taught them to avoid things that sensitize their system? And have you taught them to do things that desensitize their system? Because it's all about that balance. 
Just a reminder folks, the podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The show strives to keep all information true and correct, but humans sometimes make mistakes. Factual errors may be present, so we encourage the listeners to do their own research on the featured topics as well. Now, let's go back to the show. Um, we've talked about, like, you studied a lot of uh, techniques, manual techniques. For someone mm-hmm. who is... Uh, interested in getting starting in, in manual therapy, is there, because uh, you mentioned a lot of like McKenzie, is it, would you um, suggest to start with that or do their own research? Well, I, I, I always recommend McKenzie courses. If you oh. want to get a certification, you really want to learn mm-hmm. how to empower and educate a patient with simple uh, assessments. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very evidence-based, but I mean, I have my own line of courses, of course, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and if you guys use um, PT meal 10 <laughs> at, at edgemobilitysystem.com, you'll get 10% off uh, any of my products, but also just do the pandemic. All my courses now are currently 25% off. Sometimes I make them 50% off, wow. but I have a full certification. Uh, my modern rehab mastery is four mm-hmm. months, but if you mm-hmm. just want to take the courses without the mentorship, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to the eclectic approach.com, all our courses are there and all this will be in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. But my moderate, my, my flagship, my m- most popular course, which I used to teach live, like you know, 10 times a year. And now I'm just getting back to that. Cause I taught it only three times last year. Oh. Thanks to the pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, that is all online. It is a 12 hour course online. Mm-hmm. So you can also earn CEUs in California and many other States. Um, we give you everything you, you need to earn CEUs. All right. Great. I'll check that out. <laughs> so um, I'll get you the link. Yeah. I'll hook you up. Um, for someone who's not like, for me, I'm not, I haven't, I, I don't practice manual therapy because I was in geriatrics mm-hmm. before. Um, going to your course, uh, would I be able to understand it even if I don't have like a background in, in, in manual therapy? Yeah, absolutely. Therapy? I mean, here's the thing. I've had people attend my course who are like in their 60s. I've had mm-hmm. people who attend my course when they're students. It doesn't matter what level you are. I try to break it down mm-hmm. and make it as real as possible. I mean, the way that I'm talking is that you don't need magic hands, right? Manual therapy is like, <laughs> you need magic hands, 10,000 hours, you need to practice and to, to palpate, you know, the, the one millimeter of gapping between <laughs> L5S1 when you're doing sideline passive assessment. No, you don't need any of that. I mean, you can do that stuff, but you also... If I gave all that up, I mean, I also taught that stuff for 12 years, right? Uh-huh. If I gave it up, you can give it up. You don't even uh-huh. need to ever adopt it. Really, it's all about when to apply manual therapy, simple mm-hmm. movement-based assessments. Like if you have eyes and ears, you can do my assessments. Mm-hmm. You can be the most uncoordinated person in the world and still have great effects with manual therapy. Uh-huh. I also teach you how to make it completely pain-free. I mean, initially, during the first 12 years of my career, I used to tell pay- students that, if you don't bruise someone by the end of the week, you're not being aggressive enough. And I still had success and people, my patients loved me and I was bruising them every day, right? I mean, you know what? I'm a great salesman. Uh, and I could convince people that they needed to do that because I would tell them I need to break up the fascia, break up the scar tissue, and you might be bruised, but you're going to feel better later. And I, when I started going lighter and lighter and lighter, now I'm 100% pain-free. I, I, I scrape people with my edge tool as hard as a dog or cat licks you, right? Uh-huh. If, if you get bruised by that, you probably don't need manual therapy. <laughs> you need some other <laughs> approach. Um, 
But if, if I can make that change, mm-hmm. anyone can make that change. And that's also part of my origin story is I used to be a very aggressive mm-hmm. pathoanatomical manual therapist. And I really try to break it down and how to get the best effects, how to be 100% pain-free, how to use reliable movement assessments so that anyone, I mean, it, you know, manual therapy is not just for outpatient ortho. Manual therapy, everyone is a neuropatient and everyone mm-hmm. is an orthopedic patient because you can't separate the nervous system from the mm-hmm. musculoskeletal system. You can't separate... Right musculoskeletal from nervous system. And really every manual therapy effect being nonspecific is inherently neurophysiologic, right? There's not, there's not mechanical effects. If we're not breaking up fascia, we're not breaking up scar tissue. We're not deforming joint capsule. All we're doing is we're changing perception through novel input that changes a neurotag or a perception of stretch or threat in the central nervous system. And then after that uh, perception of threat or stretch goes away, then the output of pain, paresthesia and motor control also changes. Right. Mm-hmm. So once you, once you kind of like understand that those are the basic tenets, not only for manual therapy, but anything that has a rapid effect, if you do corrective exercises and it makes someone feel better, that was a neurophysiologic effect. If you showed someone strengthening exercises and they feel better, it's not like they immediately hypertrophied, right? Any within visit effect, or even seconds or minutes effect that takes seconds or minutes, it has to be a neurophysiologic effect. So and everything had... that has a rapid effect is, is, is neurophysiologic and thus has the same mechanisms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good explanation to that. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that there is a time and a place for manual therapy. What's the best um, time to use manual therapy on a patient? Like more yeah, I mean, I would say the time when you don't use it is an actual acute inflammatory, you know, there's uh, what Butler calls inflammatory supranaria. Like you wouldn't use it mm-hmm. in acutely sprained ankle, mm-hmm. right? It's all right. blown up and they're non-weight bearing. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't help because apparently there's research out there that says that if you use manual therapy on acutely sprained ankle, it helps them recover faster. And, and I've tried it before and they don't really, really want to be touched. So um that's probably not the best time. I've done other manual therapy techniques. So you can see on my um, on my blog, themanualtherapist.com, or if you look on modern manual therapy on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, you search ankle sprain resets. I've done passive techniques to help someone weight bear better. Mm-hmm. And that's been great. It's just that they weren't traditional kind of like aggressive grade three joint mobilizations. I mean, there's nothing different. I, I'll just say like, you know, you don't need to glide the talus posteriorly to improve dorsiflexion. You don't need to glide the glenar humeral joint inferiorly to improve elevation. You can literally just take the, the shoulder and just wiggle it around. Uh-huh. I don't I don't call joint mobilization. Uh, I, I know my orthokinematics and I used to teach them, like, like I said, for 12 years. Mm. Uh, but now I just call joint mobilization, joint stimulation. So all mm. we're doing is they're stimulating the nervous system. So if someone can handle touch, and light touch and what I call the wiggles or oscillations, Mm -hmm. you don't need to worry about the specific direction. Um, But the time and a place to use it is if someone is in too much pain to do their home program. Mm -hmm. Because if you can either do manual therapy or, you know, maybe wrap with a compression band or what I, what I, my brain is edge mobility band, anything that reduces that perception of stretch Mm -hmm. to make the patient more compliant, Mm -hmm. that's when you use it. Gotcha. Hi. So, um, I've enjoyed our conversation and we're nearing the end of our, our time. Um, but before I let you go, where can uh, people reach you uh, if they're interested in, in uh, your courses, your, your tools, uh, your website, what's your website and your, your social media accounts? 
Sure. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, uh, Modern, Modern Manual Therapy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so make sure to give me a like, follow, uh, comment on the videos, say you like this podcast. My podcast is Untold Physio Stories. Mm-hmm. My store is edgemobilitysystem.com. And like I said, everyone can get 10% off if you use the code PTMEAL10. Uh, my courses are currently 25% off, theeclecticapproach.com. They're also all on edgemobilitysystem.com. So edge, at edge Mobility System, help feed my family of six children, right? <laughs> Please help, help feed them by, uh, by buying anything on there. I have um, BFR, blood flow mm-hmm. restriction therapy. And I have all my manual therapy courses, my mm-hmm. tools. I have rehab products and fitness products from other PT entrepreneurs. Um, all kinds of stuff on there. Something for every PT, OT, DC, MT, and ATC at edgemobilitysystem.com. And uh, follow me on themanualtherapist.com. But really, you can also engage me. If you uh, DM me, if you email me through any of my sites, I I get back to you pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Right, Johan? Yeah, I right, get to, right. I feel I, I feel like I get back to people quickly. That's, that's like, true. That's people true. Are, <laughs> yeah, people are surprised. Like they, they they call me on the phone. They're like, "Wow, I can't believe it, it's you answering the phone." I'm like, "Yeah, that's because I I don't have any employees." Uh huh. But that's, <laughs> yeah, I was amazed. Like I, I was I thought that you're just gonna like wait like reply after so many days, but you really did reply quickly. So I was like, Thank probably you. within the hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, cause I, I still have a lot of questions, but yeah, probably we can like save it with to another, um, yeah, episode. part two. Yeah. Right. <laughs> cause I'm also amazed like on your, um, entrepreneurship on, uh, on your business side, but uh, like probably like just one question, um, what inspired you to like jump into like business and, and entrepreneurship because physical therapists right. usually don't have that mindset. No, so, we don't. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, I can say it's it's also not for everyone, right? I mean, there's ups and downs, and owning your own business is quite a roller coaster. Right. And um, especially during the pandemic last year, I thought to myself, "Wow, you know, do I need to like be an employee of someone now?" Because I had to cancel all my courses, and I wasn't sure about sales and everything. And luckily, e-commerce boomed during that, so my family and I were blessed with that. Um, but I always wanted to, even with my first job interview, they said, where do you see yourself in five years? And I say, I, I'm, I'm going to own my own practice. Like I'm basically saying like, this is a totally temporary thing. <laughs> and I always, I always wanted to do that. And I always, I was always like a, um, you know, like a leader in school. And I was always like, not really bossing people around, but we were in a group, you know, uh, all my friends and I were actually all leaders and, and we're all like kind of butted heads because mm-hmm. like some people have to be followers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so right around when we had our third child, my wife, who was doing home care as a PT, uh, she only worked for this particular company 363 days. And in the States, that means that if you don't work 365 days, you can't take the full three months paternity leave. So they told her, hey, if you had worked two more days, you would be able to take three months off. But now you got to go back at six weeks. And, you know, six weeks, she's still nursing and everything. She's still recovering. She's, neither one of us are getting any sleep. And I had just started my, I had just left that company that I told them I was going to leave after five years. I left them after 10 years to form my own practice. And she said, well, you know, you know, it's six weeks. You know, we're not going back to work, right? And I said, well, you know that I just started my own practice. I'm leasing literally like an Elantra, like the cheapest car I could possibly lease. I, I have all these expenses and no income. Um, and I just, I just said, hey, you know what? I just have to, I just started 
uh, producing mass producing my edge tool. Uh, I started blogging and that, that's kind of like my other or part of the origin story, how I did start doing social media. Initially, I started blogging to get people to buy more of my edge tool because I said, you know, once someone buys a hammer, no one goes back to hammer.com to read more about hammer. So I had to get people like more interested. And I started talking about the eclectic approach, what eventually became the eclectic approach in modern manual therapy. And people started hiring me for courses because they were interested in what I had to say and what, what I had to teach. And mm. um, I, I refined that approach. And because um, I said, if, you know, if I'm not successful with this and you're not going back to work because we were previously a two income family to afford the dream house, uh, our dream house. So we're going to need to move in with my parents. <laughs> so, so I tell you, there's nothing like risk right. and, and feeding your family that makes you sink or swim. And that's kind of what drove me to, to be an entrepreneur and be successful um, and, and, you know, not reliant on, on another business mm-hmm. or working for someone else. All right. Inspiring. So as my last bites, um, last questions for you before we go. Um, first one is... Um, coming from the brand of uh, PT meal, like food. Um, first one is if your life or if you are a dish, what dish will it be and why? <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, well, I would say one of my favorite dishes is actually China masala. And my wife is, um, she's not Filipino. She is Goan or um, which is like a type of like a type of Indian mm-hmm. um, from India, but mm-hmm. they're Catholic, just like Filipinos. Um, they don't make, China masala, that's actually an, an East Indian dish. But I, you know, I'm also plant-based, which is very hard. My mom totally doesn't understand that. Uh, <laughs> very hard for a Filipino to be plant-based, but yeah. it has it has all the protein I need. It's also spicy. Uh-huh. And I feel it's like uh that's that's me. It goes well over rice. Uh-huh. Everything I feel like I'm China <laughs> masala. I'm I'm plant-based. It has I'm 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 uh it's spicy. It's, <laughs> Spicy, yeah. Spicy. I got a, I got a little edge to me. <laughs> All right. The second question is, um, we've talked about your entrepreneur. Uh, so what is your recipe for success? Well, it's a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And um, it is also, you know, this whole burnout thing and work-life balance, I get it. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I first heard of burnout being a thing, I just thought, well, these people, if they're burning out so quickly, maybe whatever they're doing is not for them. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of other PTs on podcasts say there is no work-life balance. And and, and famously, not really famously, I should say, there's another PT who I went on a, another pod, I went on my old podcast, Therapy Insiders, and we talked about work-life balance. And he kept on saying, there's no work-life balance, there's no work-life balance. And I kept on saying there is. I mean, because for me, God is first, my family is first, and those things are always primarily my focus. So I would never work so hard as to never see my my family. Um, and I had heard later that this guy uh, works, like teaches so many courses and does so many other things that, I mean, he's very successful and I, I, I he's a very hard worker, but someone told me, he's only home like two weekends a year and I would be divorced, you know, like I, I, I make my family a priority Mm -hmm. and I only, when I get back to regular teaching, I mean, it's great. And it's great. You feel like a rock star and you get all these people, you know, like taking pictures with you, especially in the Philippines. It's funny people in the Philippines, they take pictures with me at like at breakfast, lunch, and dinner and with their certificates. It's like, not only at the end of class, it's like 
all during all phases of the class, every break, taking pictures, selfies, whatever. It's great. Yeah, you can feel great and really boost your ego, but I would never give that up for my family. And, and mm. so I only teach every four weeks. Like I only leave my family once a month, right? Mm. So I, I I prioritize, you know, lots of camping and RV trips with my family. I sp- try to spend as much time with them as possible. I try to eat as many meals with them as possible because that is my focus. And that is my work-life balance. Like no matter how hard you work, it is like I said, entrepreneurism is a roller coaster. You have to work at it really hard. You always have to promote yourself. You have to learn how to have a thick skin uh, in social media. You have to be put yourself out there on on all the different social media networks, even if you don't use them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll, but ha- have a goal in mind, and that was like the way I ended that that work life podcast. I'm like, look, I know that that you work really hard and you want to have these goals and everything, but but once you meet those goals you have to start scaling down a little bit mm-hmm. because you can't just, you don't want on your gravestone being like, Hey, here lies Johan. He mm-hmm. really provided for us, but we don't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. right? Well, the, the pitfall there for some people is like, I've already reached my goals. What's next. So they're, they're yes. trying to top themselves every time, but they sometimes forget who they're working for or like what's their purpose for, for working that hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're single and your purpose is to just better and, and work as hard as you can, that's great. But I mean, everyone needs rest and relaxation, mm-hmm. you know, and, that, and that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you, it's great to always set goals, but it's also great to meet goals and relax every once in a while. All right. Uh, my last question is um, what are the three ingredients that, that make up Dr. E? It can be like your your motto, your principle, your your virtue. What are the three things that that make up who you are? Oh, I think I already said them, but it's probably God, family, and hard work. Mm-hmm. All right, but yeah. also like humor. I yeah. love uh, I love humor. <laughs> having fun. <laughs> yes, having mm-hmm. fun. I love my Marvel and science fiction and <laughs> video games. All those things as a sign. <laughs> the Star Wars, that Star Wars, your background. Yeah, or... <laughs> yeah. I'm flying an X-Wing here. About to take, um, after this, I'm just going to blow up the Death Star. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So uh, for those who are listening, check out Dr. Urson's uh, websites. I'm going to post that in uh, the show notes uh, so that you can check them, check him out. So um, as a takeaway, you about on that and for uh, our listeners, because every meal would have like, our guest, uh, the host would give out like food for it to go away, right? So what's our, uh, what's your takeaway for our audience? What do you want them to take away from this episode? All right. Well, in, in your little takeout box, mm-hmm. you can yeah. just take out that manual therapy is for every patient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clear and concise. <laughs> yeah, we discussed right. that. As long as you get them the exercise afterward. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so again, thank you very much, Dr. E, for uh, for your time and, and sharing with us what uh, your eclectic approach is, modern manual therapy, your um, principles in, in your practice. I'm sure have learned a lot from that. And I'm, I'm going to do check out your courses as well. All right. Uh, I'll hook you up. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Thank you again. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast. Again, I can't thank you enough 
for all the support, uh, the messages, and uh, the inquiries about the show and the topics. Um, if you haven't followed me in my social media, please do so in Facebook and Instagram at PT Meal Podcast. You can watch some of the episodes on YouTube. Search PT Meal Podcast, PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast, and I'm there. And uh, if you want to e- send me an email, uh, it's ptmealpodcast at gmail.com. Again, uh, thank you very much. And uh, see you again next week for the next episode. Bye.